0: or simply download the CCCIV app. You'll find the direct link to the app at slash get the app Or when you text CCCIV app to seven seven nine seven seven.
1: That's what should be in our minds when we gather on Sunday mornings. We should we should see people as they're parking as they're streaming into the services, that they're coming in to praise God as king. That Jesus, in fact, is said to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So where verses 1 to 3 speak of our intimacy with the Lord, verses 4 speaks of the majesty of the Lord. Our singing should reflect an attitude of gratitude. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. And then at the end of that verse, it says, give thanks to him, bless his name. Our God is the great king who cares for his people and rules with absolute justice and righteousness. A caring king would put the welfare of the people first. There was no king who ever lived like Jesus because he went to the extreme of laying his life down for his people. Not just laying his life down, but laying his life down for the sins of his people. Bearing the wrath of God. And that's why I love the song Amazing Love. Amazing love, how can it be? You, my king, would die for me. We sing those things because we believe them. Those songs come from the hearts of what we believe, that you, my king, would die for me. Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you. In all I do, I honor you. So we should be reflecting our singing an attitude of gratitude. But not only that, our singing should reflect an attitude of adoration. Look what it says there. Enter his courts with praise. That word praise has the understanding of adoration. It isn't just lifting up singing to God, but there's a meaning attached to that that refers to an adoration. We're, We're not just singing with our voices, we're singing with our hearts. Psalm 96, 8 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Do you have that adoration for the Lord when you sing to the Lord on Sunday mornings when we sing a song? Or, ah, you know, the song's so familiar. Well, I got news for you. The songs were so familiar with the Jews, too. They memorized these psalms, and they were familiar to them, too. But familiarity should never get in the way of our adoration to God. Otherwise, it becomes lip service and not from our hearts, right? So we should be adoring the Lord. And that's what we see in the book of Revelation, don't we? In the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 4, there's this amazing scene of God's throne, lightnings and thunderings. His, there he is in all of his majesty. And yet there's this adoration going on there. Listen to Revelation 4, verses 8 to to 11. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease To say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders... Fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you. Created all things and by your will they exist. They existed and were created. You got this scene in heaven of a magnificent throne. All of God's majesty breaking through. And then what happens? Adoration. And Jesus prayed, didn't he? He said, he said, pray when you pray this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be his name. He said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The adoration should be there. I don't want my heart to ever become indifferent to who God is especially in the midst of cell phones that are constantly dinging and the trash out there and the garbage out there tends to squash out, tends to cover up, tends to smother our adoration for the Lord. So as we move forward and we see that, I want to, and this is not here, we're going to jump to New Testament, I want you to see Singing in the power of God. Not only singing in the presence of God, singing in the palace of God, but I want you to sing singing in the power of God. We're blessed people because you and I have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. If you've come to Jesus Christ and you made that commitment of faith, the Bible's clear that the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our heart. And so we're not just singing, we're singing in the power of God power of the Holy Spirit is. And, and some people have shared with me their first time visiting Christ Community Church. Sometimes they'll tell me things, wow, worship was so powerful. Well, shouldn't it be? You got a bunch of people singing that aren't filled with alcohol, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a difference in singing in a bar and singing in church. Am I right? So we're filled with the Holy Spirit. So I want you to see and I'll only say two things about this this morning. I want you to see that God's power inspires Christ-centered singing. God's power, it's not about us. These songs out there that focus on man and, and everything else and they, to the dismissal of Jesus Christ in the singing and the exaltation of, of Christ in what we sing is a tragedy. But that's what we're in. Even the church is becoming Man-centered. The church is becoming, it's all about me, so shouldn't many songs start coming out that are about me and not God? Yeah, it's happening. We try and guard against that. We do guard against that. There's a list that our worship team has to draw from, uh, 200 and something songs that are on there, and the songs that are sung on Sunday morning, they have to choose from that list. It's not like they're going to get up here and sing something new for you, and then like I have to come up and clean it up and say, Wow. That was a man-centered song. You know, that doesn't happen because we take that part seriously. So in Ephesians 5.18, and in, in this you need to follow me a little bit on, it says in verses 18, 19, and do not get drunk with wine. If you're doing that, stop. For that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, filled with the Spirit in the Greek is an imperative. This becomes the main verb of what follows. Participles are going to follow up. Just briefly say that. That's not a, this is not a Greek class, but I'm going to tell you what it means. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another. And this is where I think we encourage one another in our singing. Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Be filled is, is an imperative verb. It is the primary verb. Um, and it's a command. To be filled with the Spirit is a command. That's not an option. He's commanding us to be filled with the Spirit. Now, um, the the contrast he makes is between that of being drunk. So... The the idea that Paul is bringing out here is who's in control of you. Because when alcohol is in control, people end up in jail. They get pulled over for a DUI where under normal circumstances, they wouldn't get pulled over uh, for swerving, but it's no longer them driving. It's now the alcohol driving. When somebody gets drunk and beats their spouse... That isn't normal. It's now the alcohol that's doing it. When you berate your spouse and you're under the influence of alcohol, maybe get taken to jail, that's the alcohol that's controlling the person. But, and he contrasts that and he says, but be filled with the Spirit because now that's supposed to control the life of a believer. That that we are now under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And what I find interesting about this when I was reading it, I said, that sounds familiar too. Holy Spirit, be filled with the Holy Spirit, drunk. Well, it reminds us of the day of Pentecost. You remember on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out? And some believed and others mocked saying they were drunk in fact acts 2 verses 11 to 13 says both jews and proselytes cretans and arabians we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of god and all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another what does this mean but others mocking said they're filled with new wine they're drunk So Paul brings that up here, the contrast of the two. And what I want you to see is the primary thrust of being filled with the Holy Spirit is the same as it was on the day of Pentecost, what they said, that they were magnifying God. And then Peter goes into this sermon and he preaches about Christ. He begins to preach about Christ and 3,000 get saved that day because one of the primary responsibilities of the Holy Spirit, is to magnify Jesus. Jesus said it himself in John sixteen fourteen. Of the Holy Spirit, he said, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He will glorify me. Spirit-inspired singing is always going to glorify Jesus. It's always going to exalt him. This interfaith stuff that goes on where Let's just all get together, Christians, Muslims, Mormons, and everything else, and sing about, um, sing together. But Jesus is never the one that's put on the pedestal there. He's never the one. See, if you're a spirit-filled believer, you don't give in to that. You say, no, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my King. And it is all about Him. Now, what I find interesting, because in the New Testament, you know if you've read it, that it is about Jesus being God in the flesh. That's why we believe in the Trinity. Bible teaches uh, one God, but three distinct persons. We call it the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And even when Paul brings in Colossians chapter 3, using those same words, listen to this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Do you see the difference there? Three, three same words are there. Hymns, spiritual songs, psalms. Paul uses the same in Colossians. But in Ephesians, he says singing to the Lord. And in Colossians, he says singing to God because there is no distinction there. Jesus is God in the flesh, right? The last thing I want to say as we talk about singing and the power of God, I want you to see that God's power enables singing in times of suffering. God's power enables you and me to sing in times of suffering. And this is important. Last week I mentioned how Paul and Silas were in prison in Philippi, and, and prison wasn't pleasant there. It wasn't like here where you have air conditioning, you get three meals, you get television, you get all the amenities of home in prison, but there you didn't. In, in, in fact, I saw one of the possible locations where Paul was imprisoned in Philippi when I visited there. A couple years ago, I was there. We we went to Greece and Turkey. Philippi was one of the places. We're, we're sure where he was... Tried, there's no question there. There was a place where he would have been tried and then sentenced to imprisonment, him and Silas. We know where that place is, but we're not sure exactly where the prison was, but we saw something that could have been, and it was as bad as the prisons of those days. Basically a cave which was dark with no light in it, and you also had stocks. You know, you, you had shackles on you. You had shackles on you. So it was a miserable thing. Thing, imprisonment there, but Paul and Silas still, what did they do? They sang praises to God. Because God's spirit and his power enables us to sing in times of suffering. The hymn, It Is Well, is one of the most well-known hymns ever written. It is Well. And it was written by a man named Horatio Spafford, and he was a successful attorney in Chicago. In the 1800s, he was a successful attorney there, and he took his money and invested it in property there, and he bought a ton of property. He had it going on. There was a lot of success there, and then all of a sudden, the Chicago fire hits, and he loses it all. But prior to that, he lost his four-year-old son, and it didn't stop there. He was supposed to help D.L. Moody in England with his evangelistic uh, crusades, and because of business, he had to stay back, and he sent his wife and four daughters on a ship across the Atlantic to go, and he, his, his plan was to meet up with them. Well, the ship hit another vessel, and all four of his daughters died. And so when the telegram came from England, when they finally got there, uh, the famous words you've heard before, save one, was what she Um, sent to her husband that telegraph. In other words, I was the only one that was saved. Our daughters are gone. So he got on a boat to go meet her in England. You know, she's grieving and he's grieving. And the boat that he was on went over the place near where that ship accident had taken place. And he wrote those songs. That's what came out of his heart. It came out of the depths of his suffering and it's brought so much comfort to people. Listen to just a couple of those verses and imagine him on the ship, and the ship gets to the place where he lost his four daughters. And he writes this song, but just, I'm not going to read the whole, all the verses song, but listen to this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, Thou has taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. And then another verse says, And Lord, haste the day when the face shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. He's talking about the Lord, the rapture of the church. Clouds roll back. He's going to take his church home. Andrew Chan, he was raised in Australia and he got arrested by the Indonesian government. He was part, he was the leader of a drug ring and they were importing drugs to Indonesia and the government caught on to it. They did an investigation, undercover investigation. They found Andrew Chan to be one of the ringleaders. So they arrest him and in front of the Indonesia court, they sentence him to death. And so he's on 10 years on death row. He's on 10 years on death row. And as he's on death row, he gets saved. And he goes through a seminary. He studies theology. And not only that, he became an ordained pastor. And he became pastor of all the prisoners there in the Indonesia prison. And people appealed to to the government. They said, look, this guy truly has changed. Release him. He's, he's, he doesn't deserve death. At least modify his sentence from death. And look at the change. He's not only saved, he's pastoring everybody. And the Indonesia government wouldn't do it. And they brought him before the firing squad. That's how they executed the death sentence. They bring him before the firing squad. And when they brought him before the firing squad, he was singing 10,000 Reasons by Matt Redmond. The song we sing here, 10,000 Reasons. And when he died, he was still singing that song. As the bullets went off and he fell to the ground, there was still. And I don't know if you know this, but, but the song includes these words. And on that day when my strength is failing, the end draws near and my time has come. Still my soul will sing your praise unending 10,000 years and then forevermore. Many of the Psalms reflect the lament of the psalmist, but then they turn their attention towards God. Read them. Read the Psalms and see what... What that does to your soul, he starts out with problems and troubles and difficulties in life. And and then all of a sudden the attention begins to turn towards God. It shows us the truth that singing in times of suffering will ultimately turn our focus towards God. takes our focus off the pain of the circumstances for a moment to the God who lives and loves us and ultimately delivers us. Listen to Psalm 30 verses 8 to 12. To you, O Lord, I cry and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Can you see the condition he's in? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. That my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Commanded to sing. 1 John 5 says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. God's commands are a blessing to us, not a burden. Griselle and I was talking about this this last week when I was preparing the sermon. We were talking. I was typing on my computer in the The living room and we were sitting there just having a a moment and discussion with one another and she said you know when I lost my mother it was so difficult and that was a dark time in her life and she said that that she wishes she would have sung during those times she said I couldn't sing I didn't feel like singing but I wish I would have made more of an effort to sing because I know that darkness would have been filled with light. And you know what came to my mind when she said that? Priming the pump. Priming the pump. I told her that. Priming the pump because a pump, if it sits uh, there for a while with no activity, the water drains out and it's filled with empty space, with air. And then when you go and try and use the pump again, it won't pump any water into the pipelines. But you take some water and you prime the pump and then it starts and the water begins to flow again. That's what singing's like to us during times of suffering. Paul knew it. The the Psalms knew it. They knew that when they started to sing, it was like priming the pump during those times of suffering. That's why Ephesians says, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Notice our singing is directed to the Lord, and notice where our singing comes from, from the heart. See, there's a special place in our heart. That singing occupies. That's what we need to know. Last week I mentioned that Jesus sang a hymn with his disciples after the Passover. Remember that? And in in Matthew 26, 30 it says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now the Mount of Olives is where the Garden of Gethsemane is. We go there too when we're in Israel. Mount of Olives contains the Garden of Gethsemane where he was arrested. So the question is, if they're having a Passover meal and they're all of a sudden singing a song, what song were they singing? What hymn was he singing? And if you know anything about the Passover meal, you know that Psalms 113 to 118 are sung during the Passover. It's called the Hillel. The Hillel Hillel means praise. And so whenever the Jews celebrate the Passover, they they sing Psalms 113 to 118. Well, they finish the Passover, they sing a hymn. So it had to be Psalm 118 that they sang. As Jesus is going into his most difficult time of suffering, because when he gets to the Garden of Gethsemane, he's sweating drops of blood. And he knew everything that was going on, because at the Passover meal, he lifts the cup and he lifts the bread and he says, this is my body given for you. This is my blood which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. He does that so you don't think Jesus knew what was coming on him? And yet, he still has it in him to sing.
0: Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley.